This episode features dramatizations of violence, natural disasters, and harm against minors. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any one story about Boggin. Today's episode combines a number of legends and texts for dramatic effect. Welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and I'm here to introduce you to another of Japan's most legendary beasts. From giant skeletons to river-dwelling killers, the monsters of Japan are some of the most eerie and dangerous creatures of legend. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, we encounter Boggin, one of the mythical kaiju of Japanese lore. While the skyscraper-sized monster's current form originates in modern Japanese media, Boggin's role as an otherworldly protector can be traced all the way back to the mythological kami spirits of ancient Japanese mythology. Coming up, a little girl searches for protection in a haunted forest. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Great Beast Boggin was a creation of Japan's Toho Studios in the 1970s as part of a growing rogues gallery of Godzilla-like kaiju. The term kaiju, roughly translating to strange beast, was used to describe the beasts that terrorized cities in Japanese cinema. And eventually, kaiju became the name for that entire genre of film. Boggin's creators envisioned him in many forms as they plotted his first cinematic appearance. At first, he was imagined as a giant, shape-shifting ape, then an alien-controlled demon. Ultimately, though, Boggin's first appearance was the final boss in a 1993 video game called Super Godzilla. 
There, he was a 150-meter-tall dragon with bat-winged arms, a long, whip-like tail, and a head like a snapping turtle, with a horn at the end of his snout that had the ability to shoot star-like projectiles at his enemies. Boggin, like all kaiju, are a modern invention, but the notion behind them is ancient. In the Japanese religion of Shinto, spirits existed all around us as kami. Kamis were the spiritual essence of all things in the natural world. Trees, the sun, and even Mount Fuji had a kami. These spirits would manifest physically as everything from chickens to monstrous dragons, similar to modern kaiju you may recognize today, like Godzilla. But unlike many monsters of cinema, kami are not exclusively good or bad. Sometimes kami grant prayers, and sometimes they seek vengeance. Because in Shinto, there is less of a focus on absolute moral rules and more of a focus on balance. In Japanese mythology, it wasn't uncommon for a kami to make an appearance when the balance of the universe was thrown off. They were forces of nature that would show up in times of chaos to restore order. But awakening a mythical spirit and controlling one are two entirely different things. Mako's stomach rumbled as her mother, Yuki, led her into the deep, dark Aokigahara forest. She pushed away her hunger and kept her eyes trained on her favorite red blanket poking out of her mother's pack. It was the one thing she could see clearly in the heavy morning fog. Though Yuki often foraged for food in the forest, Mako had never been allowed there. Yuki said it was haunted, a place where things went to die. But Meiko loved spending time with her mother wherever she went and had always wanted to come with her. Yuki stopped next to a tree with white bark. She knelt in front of Meiko and warned, Keep your eyes on the ground as you forage. You don't want to miss spotting a mushroom. But be very careful. Many out here are poisonous. Meiko nodded and her mother rubbed her cheek affectionately. Meet me back here at this tree, but only when you've filled your basket. Meiko sighed. She had never liked mushrooms, but lately it was all they had to eat. Meiko asked, Why don't we move somewhere else, a new farm where we don't have to hunt mushrooms? Yuki shook her head. This is our home, Mako. We can't abandon it just because the warlord has killed our crops. Our neighbors left because they are selfish cowards. We will make the hard sacrifices for the good of the family. Mako bit her lip. She still didn't understand why they were the ones who had to sacrifice everything. But she nodded anyway and grabbed her basket, hurrying into the foggy forest beneath the towering shadow of Mount Fuji. Mako wasn't sure how long she'd been walking. She wasn't even sure where she was. She kept her eyes locked on the ground like her mother told her to, careful not to miss a single mushroom among the moss and tangled roots. 
As she wandered in the fog with her head down, she couldn't help but walk into a tree branch. It pulled at her long black hair like fingers. Mako sighed as she untangled her hair. As she finally released her gaze from the ground, she looked up to see Mount Fuji had already blocked the early morning sun. After a moment, Mako's eyes widened and a tiny grin tugged at her mouth. She whispered, I see you. Poking out from under a hollowed out log was a tiny red and white mushroom cap. She knelt to the ground and brushed away a leaf the size of her hand. It wasn't one, but ten mushrooms all huddled together. She snatched the mushrooms off the ground and shouted as she dropped them into her basket, Mother, I found five already! Mother? But there was no answer. Mako shivered. She wished she didn't have to forage for mushrooms in this strange forest. She wished she was back harvesting crops on their farm like they used to do. But the farm was no more. Not after Daimyo Kento terrorized the countryside. The warlord dammed up the river for his own personal use, which cut off Mako's family farm from their water source. The crops died. Her neighbors fled. Mako felt a cold breeze blow across her neck when she spotted the tree with the white bark far in the distance. She sprinted off, yelling, Mother, I have enough for all of us! Mother! Frantic, Mako walked around the white tree. She peered through the fog, but saw no sign of Yuki anywhere. She screamed at the top of her lungs, but there was no reply. Just the chilling breeze cutting through the trees. But something at the bottom of the tree caught Mako's eye. The bright red stood in stark contrast to the brown and green of the foliage. Folded neatly in a square was Mako's favorite blanket. Her thoughts began to race. Why would her mother leave her blanket? Where was she? Then Mako's heart dropped. She had heard rumors about the Aokigahara forest, that families in a village downstream had abandoned their children there when they could no longer feed them. But Mako didn't think they were true. She thought it was just a scary story. But now, with her mother nowhere in sight, it felt all too real. Mako cried out, Mother, please come back. I'll give you all the mushrooms. But there was no answer. A light rain began to fall. She grabbed the blanket off the ground and pulled it over her head. Mako stared through the mist, desperate to find the path back home. But everything looked the same, and she had no idea how to get out of the woods. She was stuck. She was the sacrifice her mother had spoken of. Mako leaned her back against the tree and sank to the ground. She dug her hand into her basket and pulled out the biggest mushroom. Since she apparently no longer had a family to share them with, Mako finally sated her hunger. She ate mushroom after mushroom, filling her stomach while her heart filled up with hate. She couldn't believe her mother had abandoned her. 
When Mako finished eating, she sat in the mist shivering, not just from the cold, but from anger. She wasn't sure what to do next, so she began to pray, though she had never prayed before. As Mako searched for the words, she remembered something her grandmother had told her. She was from the mainland and had told Mako stories about a mighty protector of their people, the dragon Boggin. This, she decided, is who she would pray to. Mako first asked for protection, but that didn't seem like enough. Abandoned, alone, and hungry, anger consumed her. Anger at her mother, yes, but also at the daimyo who had ruined everything. It was no longer protection that Mako wanted. Now she prayed for vengeance. The ground beneath her began to rumble, an earthquake. She leapt up ready to run, though she did not know where to go. Then she saw something strange. Far in the distance, at the base of Mount Fuji, a light flickered. Mako stumbled through the fog toward the mountain, her eyes locked on the light. As she grew closer, she realized it was a flame coming from what looked like a cave. The flame grew brighter, casting long shadows along the craggy mountainside. But as Mako got closer, she realized the light wasn't from a cave. It looked more like a fissure, as if the mountain had cracked open to reveal a roaring bonfire within. Mako stepped onto the base of the mountain. Her eyes drifted down from the fire. It seemed to rest atop a sharp rock. Then Mako screamed. It wasn't a rock at all. It was a horn, the size of a tree. And underneath it was a giant green eye the size of Mako herself. She knew it was a dragon, just like the one her grandmother spoke of. It was Boggin. Coming up, Mako sends Boggin on a rampage. Wayne Simmons spent 27 years undercover for the CIA. When he retired from spy work, he got a big break. Terrorism analyst on Fox News. Then he met Kent Clisby. So I'm a real CIA guy. This is total nonsense. I'm Alex French, and I'm here to figure out who's telling the truth. Was Wayne Simmons a spy, or was he nothing but a con man? Imposters is a Spotify original from Parcast. Follow and listen exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Mako stumbled back as her eyes tried to make sense of what she was seeing in the crack alongside Mount Fuji. She had heard all kinds of terrible stories about the forest her mother had abandoned her in, tales of ghosts and kami. 
but nothing prepared her for the sight of Boggin. Her grandmother had always described it as a dragon, but Boggin looked like so many creatures all at once. His jaws looked like they could open wide enough to swallow her house whole. His tough gray skin looked like armor, and two horns poked from his head like a bull, with a third protruding from the tip of his beak. Stranger still, flames danced from atop each sharp horn. Boggin's head stretched from one side of the fissure to another, the length of three cows. Mako couldn't see the dragon's body. It seemed to lie inside the crevasse in the mountain. Mako stared into his giant green eye. She could barely mouth the words, Boggin. Boggin's giant head lurched forward. The rocky hillside rumbled as the crack in Mount Fuji widened. The dragon was emerging. Mako sprinted to her left, dodging boulders as they tumbled down around her. It sounded like the mountain was exploding. The ground bounced and swayed beneath her feet. Then suddenly, it stopped moving. Mako looked behind her. Two thick, scaly, gray legs rose high above the treetops into the mist. The dragon was so wide, it looked like he could straddle a river. A long, whip-like tail extended out behind the beast, trailing all the way back into the mountain fissure. She couldn't see the rest of Boggin, but she could hear him. Mako's heart raced. She wasn't sure what she was expecting when she prayed to her ancestral spirits for vengeance against the mother who abandoned her and the daimyo who ruined her family's farm. But it certainly wasn't this. She couldn't explain it, but she had to see the dragon in full. She pulled the red blanket tightly around her neck like a cape and started to climb up the mountainside. Mako quickly scurried up the boulders. The air was getting colder, the rain getting thicker, turning to slush the higher she climbed. She could barely see the rocks in front of her face. But soon, everything became clearer. The rain started to slow. She could see the faintest hint of her shadow on the mossy rocks. She was out of the fog. Mako found a clearing that looked out over the land. Thousands of feet above the forest, she now stood taller than even Boggin. The monster stared up the mountain, his giant green eyes locked onto her. She took in the dragon in all its fearsome glory. He had the body of a lizard with winged arms like a bat, and its horned head looked like a demonic turtle. Three other long, sharp horns ran down its humped spine, with another at the end of its whip-like tail. She should have been afraid. Mako didn't even like normal-sized lizards, but Boggin was different. She'd called out to him in her darkest hour, and Mako knew he was her protector now. Somehow, this massive beast could feel her pain. Boggin let out another hateful roar. 
Mako smiled, feeling more powerful than ever. The dragon shared the hate inside her heart. She looked to her left, where her family's barren farm lay beyond the trees, where her mother had likely gone after abandoning her. She hated her mother now, and when she spoke those words aloud, the flames on Boggin's horns flared to the sky. But there was more for Mako to hate. She'd been hungry long before her starving mother betrayed her. Her eyes drifted north to the dry riverbed. Brown dirt curved in a crescent around the forest, leading back to Daimyo Kento's dam. On the other side of the dam, the water sparkled in the sun. It looked like summer over there. The lush green pastures around the Daimyo's castle got the best of everything, even the weather. Kento was the root of Mako's suffering. She wanted him to pay for making her mother so desperate she had to leave her daughter for dead. Mako wanted to watch his beautiful castle burn. Boggin let out another roar, the flames on his horns raging even higher. Boggin raised his giant foot and crushed a dozen trees. He was headed toward Kento's lush green fields, eager to do Mako's bidding. Her prayer for vengeance had been answered. The sound of cannon fire snapped her attention from the mighty dragon. From her spot on the mountain, she spotted hundreds of warriors flooding out of the Daimyo's gates. Boggin's appearance had not gone unnoticed. Waves of soldiers on horseback led the charge toward the forest, followed by a dozen wheeled cannons. The monster stomped toward the army, each thunderous step bringing him closer to the castle. Kento's men began firing their cannons, but the cannonballs clanked off Boggin's armored skin, doing no more damage to the beast than a heavy rain. The cavalry then shot off a cascade of rifle fire at Boggin's legs, but all that did was anger the colossal monster. Mako smiled. Kento's evil reign was going to end today. Boggin whipped his tail around, clearing the forest like a scythe through wheat. Mako could hear the soldiers' screams from her perch high on Mount Fuji. Boggin pulled his tail back behind him and stomped toward the gleaming lake that sat dammed up next to Kento's castle. The forest was littered with the crushed bodies of horses and men, and the green moss was now soaked red with blood. Boggin lifted his head to the heavens and roared again. His horns shot bursts of fire down toward Kento's castle, and the beautiful stronghold was engulfed in flames. Mako could hear the wails of the Daimyo's followers as they screamed in terror, and soon the wind carried the scent of burning flesh into Mako's nostrils. 
All she had to eat that day was a handful of mushrooms, and she was horrified when the smell made her hungry. She stumbled back, realizing the chaos her anger had unearthed and the chaos that was yet to come. Mako watched as Boggin swung his tail and pierced the dam. Water rushed from the crack, washing blood and human remains into the valley. Boggin shot fire straight into the sky as a flash flood ran straight toward Mako's family farm. Mako's mother and father were going to drown. Mako's mind raced. Her rage had unleashed the beast and the flood, and now her vengeance was going to kill everyone, unless she did something about it. Coming up, Mako makes the ultimate sacrifice. Now back to the story. Meiko watched helplessly as her prayer for vengeance raged out of control. From her perch on Mount Fuji, she could see the dragon beast Boggin standing among the chaos she had caused. Floodwaters spilled from the dam, rushing beneath the dragon's massive feet, flooding the valley. And behind Boggin, the smoldering remains of Daimyo Kento's castle billowed into the air. She had unleashed this monster, but it was no longer paying heed to her desires. Boggin was vengeance incarnate, and he was going to destroy everything. Mako's eyes followed the water as it rushed to the other side of the forest, her side of the forest, the valley where her family farm was, though Mako couldn't see it beyond the trees. Meiko's mother had abandoned her to die because of the famine the daimyo had caused. Still, Meiko knew her mother was half mad from hunger, as desperate as she was when she prayed for vengeance and woke Boggin. Maybe Meiko didn't want to see her family again, but she didn't want them to die. Mako wrapped her red blanket around her and scrambled further up Mount Fuji. The sleet turned to snow, slicking the rocky mountainside with ice. But Mako had to get a better look at her home. She prayed it would be spared. High above the tree line, she could see her farm. The flood water had washed away the dead crops, but she spotted two tiny specks huddled on top of her roof her mother and father. Mako turned back to Boggin and cried out for him to stop, but whatever connection they'd had was severed. Or perhaps Boggin only ever meant to feed off her rage. The forest was a war zone, and Boggin wasn't done. The monster cut a straight line through the trees, heading for her family's farm. If the flood didn't kill them, he would. Wind blew Mako's blanket from around her neck, and she shivered in the cold, her mind racing. If prayer brought Boggin to life, maybe prayer could stop him. Mako sank to her knees and began to pray for the second time in her young life. 
But just as the words left her lips, the rock beneath Mako gave out and tumbled down the mountainside. She scrambled back to safety, her heart pounding as she watched the boulder knock out others further down the hillside. They created a tiny avalanche, which gave Mako an idea. Boggins stomped through the forest, cutting a path to her parents' farm. Mako ran up the mountain as fast as she could. The snow grew deeper. The air was thin and freezing cold. She couldn't feel her hands or feet, but she pushed on. She glanced back down the mountainside. Boggin was only going to be in range for a moment for her plan to work. If she wanted to stop the evil she had unleashed on the world, she had to time it just right. Mako scanned the desolate mountain. A long, icy overhang jutted out over the forest, and thousands of feet below was Boggin. Mako walked out to the very edge of the overhang and gathered all her strength. Then she jumped, smashing her feet down into the edge of the ice. Mako heard the ice crack beneath her feet. Again and again, she jumped. The cracking sound grew louder, but at this elevation, the lack of oxygen circulating in her body was making her dizzy. The next jump, she lost her balance. Mako landed with a thud on the ice. She prayed once again for strength as she staggered to her feet. But the ice gave way before she could get up. Mako went sliding down the mountainside, riding a wave of ice and snow. She was going faster and faster, the avalanche gaining steam. It looked like half of Mount Fuji had come undone, as if the mountain itself had joined her in the attack on Boggin. The tsunami of snow plummeted into the forest, straight toward Boggin. Mako caught one up-close look at the monster's confused, fearful eyes before her world went black. Mako awoke under a pile of snow. She couldn't move or feel her body. She had no way of knowing which way was up. She wasn't even sure if she was alive. Everything was dark, except for a pinprick of light directly in front of her, the faintest flame slowly melting away the snow. It was the tip of Boggin's horn. The faint flame of the dragon's fire had created a small cavern underneath the collapsed mountainside. Mako knew it wouldn't hold for long, and now, in the firelight, she also knew she wouldn't be able to escape. The reason the light was so close was because Boggin's horn was stabbed right through her belly, impaling her. The ground she laid on was really the beast's head. The flame began to flicker and fade. Mako knew Boggin was dying, just like she was. Two vengeful beasts, one gargantuan and one small, trapped at the bottom of an avalanche. But in her last moments before the cave collapsed, 
Mako's soul emptied of hate. Her sacrifice saved her family and thousands more, and this filled her heart with hope. For hundreds of years, the Shinto religion and the worship of Bogen-like kami were seen as interchangeable. Perhaps this is because some of the key pillars of Shintoism are about putting the group over the individual, the importance of the natural world, and the concept of wa, the harmony of all things. And kami, like the one who inspired Bogen, were expected to bring balance to the world when this wa was thrown off. It's easy to see this idea of balance as a mystical bit of existentialism, but it has very practical implications. When one lets their emotions get the better of them and acts selfishly, they harm not only themselves, but the entire world around them. One lone person's anger can change everything as it ripples across the planet with the destructive power of a massive kaiju beast. Sacrifices must be made for balance to be restored, and it is only by being brave, selfless, and wise that we can hope to outmatch the power of a monster like Boggin. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode on another Japanese monster. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Isabella Way. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Jesse Harris, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mm-hmm.